Hey everybody, how you doing? Welcome to another episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. This is part of the mini-series that I have called Coffee and Chapters with Coffee Chug, in which I am taking time to read through various books that I've owned that I haven't read, as well as some new ones with various guests on the show to just have a roundtable discussion. This is helping me stick to my reading goals. It's helping me um, understand the world through conversation with other people, people that I know, as well as strangers that I'm literally talking to for the first time as you're going to see in some future episodes. And so I just want to encourage you to um, check out the books that we're reading. Um, Secondly, if you would like to join in on a roundtable discussion or you have a book that you think would be really good for us to discuss, to please reach out. Always looking for new guests, always looking for new voices. Um, And and I think it's just something that is not only empowering me, but I hope that it empowers you as a result. So you can head to coffeefortherebrain.com backslash books 2020. You can see the books that we've talked about, The Happiness Advantage, Atomic Habits. Um, Today we're going to be speaking about talking to strangers. Uh, we've got range coming up and then we have a couple other books that are our next on the horizon for us to discuss and so um don't be afraid. We'd love to have your voice. We'd love to have conversations. So grab that cup of coffee, um, shoot me an email, and let's make it happen. This particular case, um, this episode, I get to speak with a, a good friend of mine, a former colleague of mine, is someone who I highly uh, value their thoughts and opinions. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. And if you haven't read Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell, I guarantee after this conversation, you're going to want to pick it up and check it out. All right, my friends, as always, I appreciate any help, support, sharing on social media, and let's get into this conversation with my good friend, Brett. Woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation, Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker, living on the edge of chaos, going insane, listening to coffee chugs like caffeine for the boring, one of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born, here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hello everyone, how you doing? This is Aaron Maurer here with another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. And this is another one of those chapters and conversations with coffee series here where I get to bring in another guest to talk about a very powerful book today. And the awesome thing about today's episode is it's not just a guest of, of, of someone who I value their insights, but good to call him a friend. We're former colleagues together. And actually, I need to go back and look at the episodes, but uh, uh, Brett, has actually been on this podcast before. We used to do some roundtable discussions back in our heyday, uh, back when we all taught middle school. I think we talked about the OA. We talked about just yeah, a yeah. whole gamut of stuff. And so uh, we'll have to find those and link those in. And for those that are interested in, in try going down a memory lane of, of complete nerdum, um, of, or we used to have these coffee conversations um, back at school. But, Brett, before we dive into the book and all that stuff, let's make sure people know who you are um, so they have a little bit of context of who in the world it is I'm going to be uh, talking about this book with today. So why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, so my name is Brett Van Dievender. Uh, I am a seventh year science teacher. I This year I'm staying at home with my three and six year olds. Uh, well, uh, along with everybody else now, but I, I took the year off to spend some time with them. Hopefully, as, uh, as things get back to normalcy here over the next couple of months, pursue some more of my passions. Uh, right now, I, I've got a, a really big passion for uh, I was social emotional learning and they came out with some competencies. I, I'd really like to see uh, mental health and social skills taught in classrooms, particularly at like the middle or high school level, uh, a little more explicitly. And so I've been gearing a lot of my uh, a lot of my energy towards making curriculum uh, for that. I, I also recently ran for North Scott School Board. so you can you can tell where my energy is. I, I care a lot about education. Uh, I love I love working with kids. I, I love uh, a, a lot of the things going on in school systems that maybe don't get as much attention as they should. So, uh, just a passionate educator, and uh, right now a passionate parent alongside with it. Yeah, and uh, really appreciate you <clears throat> taking time here to speak with me. And you know, and as, as you're introducing yourself. Um, I mean, I reached out to you to, to be part of this these roundtable discussions, but really, as you're 
I'm sitting there re- reminding myself of all the stuff you've been doing in this year since we don't always see each other face to face as much as yeah. we used to. Like this book, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell, is really right up your alley because you've really spent outside of obviously your own children and, and wife who are not strangers, but all the stuff that you've been doing is built on the premise of talking to strangers. I mean, as you're, you know, running for school board and trying to figure out how to make education systems better for those, for those pockets in education that, that don't have enough voice and, and, and resources and things happening. It just, you know, the, the, the well-being of, of community development that you're doing, this actually turns out to be a, a perfect fit for a lot of the work that you've been doing. So it, it kind of has gelled magically here just as you're talking and I'm like, oh yeah, duh! This is actually uh, the perfect person to have on the on the show for this. <laughs> yeah, it did make a lot of sense. I actually already had the book at the point when we talked about it. We we had looked at a couple of uh, a couple of books, and I, this one I already had on my my list. And I I, I did the audiobook version, uh, which I I love because I can write down as I'm I'm going through it. And, and this audiobook version, if if you haven't, it's phenomenal for this book especially. I mean, it was it's a full production. He's got music, he's got speakers and actors. <clears throat> it was really good, but yeah, this this seemed to gel really well. I, I learned a lot running for school board and and door knocking and uh, and what I'm putting together right now. I, I've been listening to a lot more psychology. I'm taking a neuroscience a free neuroscience class through Duke, uh, that, and I'm, I'm learning a lot about the the brain and it's it it gels really really well with a lot of the stuff that he's saying, specifically the chapters where he talked about brain science because he did bring up some psychology experiments here and there and. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's where uh, that's where I was really locked in the most, probably. Yeah, so we'll definitely dive into that, and I and I will say for those if you haven't read or listened to the book, this truly is an audio book that I have yet to see any recommendation or review um, that hasn't said to make sure you listen to the, the audio book is not a typical audio book of the author just reading. Like he actually has like the sound clips, the media press, like the interviews as we t- talk about these stories. Like it is a full production just as brett said and so um i've read it and then i've also listened to it and i wish i would have listened to it first and then read it afterwards because it's just yeah. like it just it's such an incredible job but let's set the context and then get into some of that that stuff that, that really resonated with you um so for those that haven't read the book talking to strangers by malcolm gladwell just a brief kind of one sentence summary of this is really designed to help us better understand and accurately judge the people you don't know while st- staying patient and tolerant with others. Um, and, and really what we find out is, you know, you can look around on the internet, I was trying to pull different resources, but it really kind of comes down to, in my opinion, these three main things, which I think are, are very powerful um, and really kind of makes you rethink what you think you you actually know. Um, one, I think one of the big themes is that we overestimate big time our ability to read what other people are thinking <clears> or feeling. And I think that's a kind of a gut check. It kind of sucker punches you because we think we're really good at it. And this book kind of makes you think like, boy, we, we really are not good at it regardless of our training. The other big thing that, that I thought was in here is that um, humans naturally default to believing that others are telling the truth and are incapable of telling when someone is lying, which is also powerful. Um, one, it was like, well, we just need to stop doing that. But then, like, society couldn't function if we didn't have that kind of default to truth. And the other big yeah, idea, big, big idea here was, um, you know, one reason you're so bad at judging people um, is that everybody expresses their emotions and thoughts differently. So those were kind of like the big three things for those that haven't read the book that this book is going to explore. Um, and I would put one caveat in here, and then I know I cut you off, so I want you to get your idea oh, no, in here fine. is, you know, for those that maybe have dealt with some trauma, whether it's uh, sexual assault or physical or mental assault or abuse, you know, there are some powerful stories in here that could trigger some of that. And so I just want to put that kind of warning disclaimer. Um, it's a very open, honest, real look. And he explores these ideas through some very powerful stories. And so I just want to make sure that you're aware that um, – if you have dealt with that or know people who have dealt with that, you know, some of these could bring back some of those emotions. So I just want to put that out there so people aren't caught off guard um, because many people have read Malcolm Gladwell and his work is incredible. Um, and to me, this one really has some stories that just kind of go, ooh. And I felt that way. And I fortunately haven't had that in my life. And I still felt kind of cringeworthy at times. So um, I just wanted to kind of put that out there before we really get into some of this stuff here. Yeah, he he takes on a couple of a couple of situations in this book that are not 
popular to take on. <laughs> yeah. And he, he, he backs uh, a number of situations. I, I mean, just from just like the ones off the top of my head, he, he looks at, I mean, specifically with suicide, mm-hmm. uh, with rape culture and, uh, and I mean, alcohol really in general. But he he takes he takes these situations on and, and puts perspectives in there that he does. So he does it in a really graceful way. But at the surface, it yeah, it, it's not something that's that's easy to talk about. Yeah. I mean, so what what are you know, I'll, I'll put you on the spot here. So what are those stories impacted you the most or was there one that really stood out more than the others or, or fascinated you? Let's maybe pick one of those and kind of just unwrap it here a little bit and, and, and kind of see where our thoughts resonate. Cause I know there were stories I was just like, Holy cow. Like this one I had to like, there, there was a couple of them I had just had to stop, yeah. you know? So I'm curious what, what, which ones really impacted you? Well, the, the ones that, uh, I, I would say the two that probably made me have to really like stop and absorb and like process through what I'm thinking, like just shocking was the Nasser and Sandusky, which I, I had previous experience with, but especially from a parent standpoint now, going through the all of the things that, that I, I mean, I, I knew from media coverage and everything else, just how uh, how intense it was, but the especially the way that he did it in the audiobook, where he did bring up uh, a lot of the interviews with people and conversations that they were having yeah. and situations where... I think it was especially with the the Nasser one, when when he's talking about parents in the room who were defending him, and it's it's just it's hurting me. It, I mean, it was just like physically hurting me because I'm feeling for these people who, uh, because of these things that are happening outside of their control. I mean, that's the big theme is that these are all unconscious things that are happening that that we we don't know that we're doing. They're they're defending this person. They're defaulting to truth. They're trusting what this person's saying, even at the expense of their own kid. And it's just, I mean, it was just killing me. And I, I mean, I I paused it for a while. I took a day off after that, and it was just like I talked to Emily about it. My wife. I mean, that one probably hit me about as hard as as any of the other ones. Yeah, and that one too. The part that really like. I remember following it in the media, but I don't, but I, I didn't like dive into all the court records and stuff. I mean, I did kind of whatever the media, and of course it was in the media forever and a day there um, as it should. And people came forth and um, I'm not saying that to downplay it, but the, the bit that really like got me was the fact that the, those terrible incidents in some cases were happening while the parent was actually in the room while their child was getting treatment. I mean, it like, and they had no idea like these things were happening and it's just that whole it makes you really question this this thing of like as a human like the idea that you know one of the main ideas that come through this this idea of defaulting to truth like we trust that those who are in positions of whether it's power or help or support or whatever word you want to put in there we trust that we know that that we think they know what they're doing and that they're going to do it right you know what i mean and when that yeah, yeah. gets broken like that's that I just I don't even know how you come back from things like that. I mean, it's one thing like you know when you find out you know your friend lies to you or something cheesy and you get upset for a while and you kind of move on. But this is at a whole nother layer, especially when you bring your own children into it. You know, I mean, you have daughters, I've got two yeah. daughters, and it, and and it just it changes the whole narrative. I mean, I and not even just daughter. I think about even even yeah, my yeah. son in like bro culture or or football culture or I mean, there's just as many things happening that I'm trusting that they're teaching him to be a good male. You know what I mean? Um, well, yeah, you ho- think about <laughs> all of the all of the things in life where you pass off responsibility and you're you're expecting people to to be able to 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 quote unquote like parent or teach or train or, or raise your kids a specific way. And I mean, yeah. And in a lot of these situations, it's like, it, there's not even a lot of flexibility for regret. Like what more do you do? You're in the room. You're, you're physically present. You're, you're doing everything as a parent that you can do. And you're still missing this thing that's ha- Oh, yeah. And, yeah. I mean that if, I mean, that killed me. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, you just look at it in terms of, I mean, it's easy now to like 
be Monday morning quarterback, right? And be like, how did you not see it? Here are the warning signs. Like, how did you not know? And blah, 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 blah. But like yeah, yeah. how many of us, I mean, I think about it in, in like, like smaller scale. I mean, I'm really thinking about it even now in this situation right now where we're all home um, because of, of the coronavirus at the time of this recording. And I think about all the things in my life, and this is at a much lower scale of, of this is not like a NASA type situation, but the idea of like all these things that I stressed and worried about as a parent that I thought my kids needed, you know, we got to get, you know, got to get my kids into this travel program and my kids got to do this many practices and, and we got to make sure all the homework is, is, is to close to perfection as possible. Like all these things that I'm putting in my brain, probably to think that I want, because that's what it takes to be a good parent, and also yeah. to instill in my head, because it's still good values in my kids, but now here we are, um, in a whole different landscape, and, like, my kids are fine, like, my kids, you know what I mean, like, like there's a lot of these things yeah. where, yeah. like, we don't really need it, um, and then on the flip side, we're also realizing, I think a lot of people um, outside of education are realizing how important schools are for the first time after downplaying education for for so long so there's all these types of things you know that that like these stories start to resonate with like holy cow like maybe we do have a new appreciation for teachers now that i'm trying to work from home and i'm supposed to teach my kids their stuff and oh my gosh my kids don't want to listen and you know like it's just it's just just a whole fascinating type of 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 conversation that i think this book is also perfect timing to be reading about well, and, and even in that situation, you start to because they talked a lot about uh, you talked a lot about blame and like who should be held responsible, especially with the Sandusky one. How high do you go? Do, I mean, does it go all the way to the president? Is it the person who saw it? Because I, I, I think in the final piece of it, they, they find out the coach who saw it in the locker room didn't actually report it for a couple of months right. under under the timeline that they were kind of constructing based on uh, the evidence they had and and you start to look at at kind of where do you dissolve the blame to who all is responsible and I mean part of his argument is it's easy to just say everybody everybody who was involved in it held you know responsibility and and that kind of is what happened at least from my interpretation of it but it it tells it tells a good story about the nuance of that and how it's a lot more complicated than we think. And that theme resonates all the way across all these, yeah. from, from Sandra Blanche to the fraternity party that we'll get to at some point, where the per- this person, even this person that you think is, is so blindly guilty that it's obvious that there are things going on that, that we don't understand about these interactions, about these people that make you rethink these assumptions that are built into our psychology mm. that that make us just immediately jump uh, from the outside, jump to these conclusions and see it. And I, I, I mean, that whole theme resonated really, really well with me because I love I mean, I take devil's advocate a lot when I'm in conversation and it's I, I just I, I really like the idea of getting better and, and growing as a person, uh, as a reader, as whatever, at being able to interpret what is going on and being a better communicator with people. It's just interesting. Yeah. I mean, even look at that Sandusky case. Um, I was actually listening, you know, prepping for this conversation. He did a episode with Oprah, uh, which I'll put a link in the show notes. It's a great, it's a great episode. Um, I think it was back when the book first released and, and in there, she, um, talks about this, this whole, you know, lots of these stories, um, you know, and I think Oprah has a lot of history, and I shouldn't say a lot of history, but has a history with, with rape and sexual assault and things mm-hmm. like that. So I know I was really interested in how she <laughs> was going to um, either challenge, I, I thought she'd go in and challenge a lot of these things in the book. Um, yeah. But he talks about that in that Sandusky case, he believes that like the, the administration and stuff should not have been held accountable for for being responsible for this. And the reason being is if you're a child pedophile like Sandusky was, like they're very good at deception. And so mm-hmm. they were just as deceived as we all were as a fan as or, you know, all the involved. And obviously from the outside, we didn't know all the stuff till it came out. But like this whole notion of like they weren't only decepting of the children but everybody around them like that's what makes yeah. them so good at what they do and that i say that and it kind of feels icky to be like yeah. you're so good at it like but like there's a reason um that they're able to get away with things for so long and i always and i found that sandusky one hard um because i always come back to the idea like because he does talk in the book too which i think 
makes it really fascinating. Like he also did so much good. You yeah. know what I mean? And so then how do you how do you yeah, balance yeah. that? So it's not like I'm saying he did all this good, therefore let him go. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying like he did a lot of bad, which is why he's in jail. But at the same time it's just so what confusing. He did, it makes it so complicated, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he, he helped all of those people throughout the years while while also committing crime doing the horrible things. But yeah, it just adds this layer of, of complication to it. And and it, it it's seriously, I mean, it makes it like unbelievable because it just it, it's it's that idea of being missed like it just doesn't i don't know it's confusing it it just really doesn't make sense well none of us like to be deceived right and we don't like that yeah. feeling when we've been duped i mean we do when we're watching a good movie like an inception or a memento you know we're watching a movie or you know sixth sense and all at the end you know we like that kind of like oh but we like it because we paid for yeah. it and it's not real but we really don't like it when someone dupes us and that's just a terrible feeling because we think we we think we've got a grasp on how to read people. And when that happens, yeah. in that case, there was a huge, I mean, it was more than just a dupe. I mean, it was actual yeah. crimes. But in a lot of these other cases that in stories he talks about, like, like you just you feel like you got burned. And that's a terrible yeah. feeling, you know. And um, it's just, I think that, that, that makes it a, a bitter pill to swallow because we all have kind of like our own ego. Like, I got this. Like, I know. I know what Van's yeah. thinking today. When I see him yeah. walk through the hallway. I I got him. Like I really, ha- I have no idea what, what's what's going on. You know what I mean? Like, I can read your body language. But like he's happy, he's sad, he's, but I really don't. I assume that I know, but I well, really don't. And that's the overestimate too, where we we think we know so much based on the information that we're getting, which is what resonated with a lot of the early stories, like Chamberlain and Hitler and all that. And yeah. he has a he has a there was a study that he ref a psychology one. Uh, where people would – it was like a completion task or something. They'd complete the sentence. Oh, yeah. And so they'd say like you'd complete a sentence and then there's these words. And he would – the, the interviewer would ask the person like what do you think this tells you about yourself? And these people are like, oh, that – you can't get anything out of that. You don't know me. I'm complicated. These 10 words you know, don't, don't tell you anything about yeah. me. And then – immediately after that they'd be like okay here's 10 words of other participants what can you tell and they would make these mass generalizations like this is all that i need to know to know about that person like the same thing and and i mean your brain jumps to it and says oh well i wouldn't do that if i'm in the study you know to defend yourself but like that's it those are are telling things about who we are and even even if it's not universal it's like it's really interesting to see it it put concretely like that where where you can just see the over, like you can almost put like a number to the overvaluation that we have mm. of of what we think we know about other people. Yeah, and I, he he did a good job putting those studies in there. I felt like the psychology studies, which I mean, some of them you you know are imperfect at times, but it, it nuanced them enough to to put some some real good data behind it. Yeah, I mean that those studies are are fascinating, and it made me almost think of like Facebook, right, where. Um, how quick we are to, I shouldn't say how quick we are, but like the idea where um, we've all done it and I'm so, I'll call myself out because I've done it more than once where you Facebook stalk somebody and you instantly based on pictures and things, you make a judgment about that person. Like, oh, that person, blah, 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 blah. Whether, you know, nine times out of 10, it's usually a negative rant, uh, you know, but then we then on the flip side also get upset with people who we think have like fake posts that their life is perfect but we yeah. all, like we we're all we're all in this cycle of this game, right? Like people are creating this this kind of perfect vision of what their life looks like on on, on social media, or whatever, because they also know that we're going to turn around and judge them. And it's it's to me as as I was looking through those psychology study things like that, like this is all like a lose lose situation. Like not to be mm-hmm. pessimistic, but like we're trying so hard to game a system that is really a game that none of us can win at because we're not good at it. Like we're not good at kind of reading between the lines yeah. and understanding things, especially when it comes to a social media where I can paint any picture I want to paint on there and you really don't know me at all, you know? And so yeah, it's, yeah. it's, but yet we make, we turn around and judge ourselves off these fake narratives that we know are fake. And so that to me yeah. becomes even a crazier complex storyline that I think a lot of us are dealing with. Well, and we, we misinterpret <clears throat> often, and then we judge people harshly for misinterpreting us. 
I mean, I think of like even just like sending a text message or writing a post on there. And I told Emily, like, I mean, without emojis, it's just like, every, I mean, everybody knows how hard it is to, to read emotion out of text. But uh, like, it's, it's so easy sometimes to jump to a conclusion when you see something, but just as quickly judge somebody else. That's not what I meant. Like, why are you doing And it, But it, that's just, it just shows how built in it is to us to, to defend self and yeah. yeah. Well, talking about judging, let's talk about another story because I think it's another one that, um, to me, I, I still feel a little undecided on, and that is the um, the Brock Turner case around like yeah. with the alcohol and the the rape case there. Um, and what I found really fascinating about that particular case is how they've come out now and talked about a lot of people who are doing research around alcohol no longer consider alcohol an inhibitor, um, which mm -hmm. is what we've been instilled with our entire lives, even going back to probably like the D.A.R.E. program, if that was around back when you were a kid. Maybe I'm really dating myself yeah. with that. No, but like no, this whole was. idea, like it's it's not an inhibitor. Um, what's the word? Myopic, where we become yeah. so much more short-sightedness and we see like the almost – instant gratification is how I kind of registered that thought and we're yeah, not yeah. Really thinking through the long term. And so what were your thoughts around like that case, either the Brock Turner thing, the alcohol, one of the above. I mean, to me, that was a, I've read a lot online I, and that seems to be <clears> the one that has really made a lot of you. people upset. Um, yeah. So. And, and I would say if there's anything in this book that you're going to attack, that would be it. Yeah. And, and it's just because there's, there's not a lot of in between. Yeah. And, and I mean, you, you can definitely argue in some of the other ones that, y you know, it's, there's not a gray area, but I, I think he did a, a better job of taking a hard stance on, on one side or the, and, and in this one, I would say, I, I understood where he was going, but if there's going to be a critiquable thing in the book, it's this, it's this whole encounter. Yeah. And yeah, when, when he talked about, uh, when he talked about alcohol, I mean, I wrote on here, because uh, I looked up myopia after that. It's self-inflation. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I feel like I've heard it before, but I didn't. Yeah. So self-inflation, uh, focusing on the now, uh, overreacts to social cues was another big one where uh, you're you're picking up a lot of a lot more information from what's in front of you than you normally would. Yeah. And, and you're not able to see further down the road. And and it. I mean, these are all things that when you piece it into your own experiences with alcohol and whatever, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. And, and I think it certainly clicked in my head. And I, I thought it was interesting because I've kind of always had like a background understanding that like, you know, there, there is some sort of more like truthful, like, I mean, you talk about inhibitions, but like there's more like a, not a, a more truthful, but like you, you, you lower your guard, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's kind of just been the view. And yeah, so it was. Uh, I, I thought it was really interesting, it, it, specifically the views on alcohol. When it comes to the party, it's just, it's, yeah, it's really hard with a case like this, and, and the evidence is so bad uh, against him that I, I think in one of the articles you linked, they just said it was a bad example, probably to pick. Sure. Like there, there's a lot of examples in these situations where things are a little hazier, and in this one, it just seemed like it was. It was, uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it definitely was shocking. And when I was reading it, uh, I, I could see the connections, but yeah, there, there was a little bit of like teeth gritting, like, ugh, like I, yeah. So I, yeah. I mean, I don't know what your take was, but. Well, it's interesting because anytime you, you get in, you, you talk about the topic of rape, you you have to be very careful not to interpret because the only people that truly know are those that are involved in there. And so I try not to place any judgment. Um, what I found fascinating, and of course I, I didn't pull this from the book because I, I found it really hard um, to kind of gather that because I didn't feel like, at first I was like, he's really kind of downplaying this idea of the rape culture. Um, but yeah. then as I listened and read other things from him, other podcasts like the Oprah one, and there's a couple other ones I'll make sure I link in there, some articles, what he has made very clear beyond the book, which I didn't think was very clear in the book, was this is not an excuse for these 
behaviors to happen. What he's trying to say is like, and he's talking about college campus, like the absurd amount of alcohol that's being consumed. And his big yeah. thing that I've heard him say time and time again, and the stuff that I've read about is like, when people talk about how do we make college safer for students, no one ever addresses the alcohol problem. They talk about, right. you know, having more people to talk to and counselors and the lowering distress. It's like, but no one ever tackles this. He's like, and when you put all that alcohol and all these people and loud music and the frat culture and all these things, he's like, you're, there is a natural byproduct that is going to evolve. That's not an excuse, but like, what do you expect? It's kind of like, I feel like he's kind of like, I'm putting words in his mouth, but like, kind of like, what do you expect is going to happen? Right. Yeah. Um, and so, and that's the danger of it yes. and, because that's the interpretation that I got too. Now he's constantly swinging back around and making sure to try and articulate that that's not what he's saying. But it does read that way at times. And so, yeah, I, I I got the same impression. I think it was a Joe Rogan podcast interview that I was mm. telling you about before the show. I, he had a really good one where he talked about the book. But he's basically a, – a lot of the alcohol section is arguing alcohol needs to be added to the list of interventions that we're doing. And he talks about like you know the sponsorships that colleges have with Anheuser-Busch and you know where there's – you know, there's, there's like handshaking going on between alcohol companies and college campuses, and they're saying that they want to attack this problem of X, Y, and Z when one of the biggest factors is alcohol consumption. And I mean, yeah, yeah it, it it certainly there there were parts of it where he was he was covering it, but I don't think I don't think he did uh, necessarily a good enough job of making a hard pitch there to show what he meant. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the hardest things through all this is something that I'm learning as a father um, of a daughter who's had to deal with some things. I mean, she's not in college, um, only in middle school, but dealing with some stuff is like this thing of what are the supports for the victims? So what I mean by that, and I'm trying to like bridge this to this book and I've, I've been trying to work on this. And so I'm kind of just word vomiting here because I don't know that I have a direct connection, but this idea of, this girl, I don't, I don't know Jane Doe um, in this particular case with Brock Turner, right? Like, if she wants to consume large amounts of alcohol, she should have the right to do that without fear or worry of being raped. Now, we can sit here and say, well, don't drink. She shouldn't be doing that. She shouldn't right. put herself in there. But why is it that the victim has to have the constraints like that's mm-hmm. not fair because we wouldn't yeah. say we're not no one's saying that about the frat guys right like no one's saying yeah. like what, what they should be drinking either like but so i i, I find this is it, it's so it's a frustrating because our obviously you know we're, we're innocent until proven guilty um we are still very much in a masculinity type culture um where things are designed for males for the most part to weasel their way out of things um and yet, you know, I read these stories and I sit there and go, what does the future hold for my kids? Like one, making sure I'm having conversations and, and my wife too, yeah. with my son, like this is how males act and behave. And this is how males don't act and behave, you know, yeah. and my daughters, here's how you have to hold strong and, you know, and it's just, but not making them feel like they can't live out their lives because of societal norms, I guess. In this case, it's yeah. college norms. I mean, we, we can't argue that this stuff happens all the time. Yeah. Um, and so, but at the same time, being aware of these norms because putting yourself in those situations could lead to a bad result also. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. I, it's like how hard do you you put your foot in the stand? Do you, do you, you give them the strength to be make their own decision, but also it's it's hard yeah it's, and i just it is and it's there's there's no clarity to it which you know once again i think makes these types of situations even even more difficult and probably as a parent because in the end i, I don't have any control right like i can yeah. instill these things and i just pray to the heavens above or whoever you pray to that they make the right decisions and that those around them um do so as well yeah yeah i i think and i don't remember if it was near the end of the book or or when uh, but he, he does talk about specifically, I, I think for women, uh, he, he's making an argument about not necessarily, I, I think it's more like awareness. Part of it, it part of it, the, the argument that he was getting to is awareness like that, that as a female, he mentions the crazy amounts that she drank. And I think he references like 
kind of like some of the the draws of feminism pushing to to match men in yeah. that category. And so so part of the takeaway that I got from from my interpretation was that he's also saying like give an accurate perception of where boundaries are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, give better trend. Like you talked about the Dare program, I felt like the Dare program was like, don't do it. We're not going to give you any information about it. Like, I mean, <laughs> like here's the. Re- I mean, they they told us how bad it was, but you don't. Like, I mean, I, I don't know at any time growing up that I was giving. Like, I mean, I guess we had drunk goggles, but like I didn't have an idea of what point oh eight is like like looks like it has a legal limit like giving better information to where some of these boundaries are and so that i mean some of my articulation was that is that he's trying to kind of like box in this complicated problem of where men and women and like how, how do you train those boundaries how, how do you train uh, the ability to be able to to get that without just experience i mean most people learn it through experience like you know, they get to a point where they throw up. They know that's too far. You, I don't know. It's it's a complicated problem. Yeah. And I think, too, I mean, if we look at that and then um, we'll segue here to another part of this, too, because I think it just adds a, another layer to who we are as humans, let alone. I also think about education in general. Um, it's also a later part in the book. Um, I'm going to call it trauma. I can't remember exactly what he calls it, but they're, it's it's the section where they're talking about they're doing the interrogations and how do you break someone yeah. down to, to share, to spill the beans, so to speak. And I don't know how to properly say the, the test or whatever it is, but it's like a, the Ray Osterith. And if I'm saying that wrong, I apologize. But they had it where they had to draw this this <clears> image um, and it's in the yeah. book. And, um, and then they put them through this interrogation process, really trying to ramp up trauma is what it is and, and stress levels and they asked him to draw it again and here are these highly trained people like people trained to do this type of work and sustain this type of work and they couldn't they couldn't draw like they could like the it looked like a professional drawing before and then it looked like a five-year-old tried to draw it and they had to draw it from memory yeah. um and I found that so powerful because here are these so-called experts, these people who have been trained in this type of stuff, um, failing at this miserably. Um, and I think about like kids and people. I think about here we are in, in the education landscape and, and we are pushing more and more content expectations, not only on teachers, but kids, right? Like kindergarten feels like a first grade classroom now. And I think yeah, about yeah. these kids that are coming with this baggage and it's not that they can't do the work. I just think about if if these are how professionals brains are, are con- breaking down with, with the trauma and the stress, like how is a kid supposed to operate anything? And I just think it, it goes a lot. I, I actually think a lot about you because in the work that you're trying to do, because to me, this speaks volumes to a huge issue that we have in society. Yeah, I 100% agree that. And that study, I don't know if we're talking about the same one because there's a few, but that it stuck out to me too because it, it looked like the like the rocket ship. I don't know if that's the you know what I'm talking about. It was like that <clears throat> okay. where they had all those lines. Um, there's a lot of studies, but well, um, yeah. And so I the one that I was thinking, I think it was like a box and a sail or something. So this might have been a different okay, yeah. one. But they uh, he had mentioned, and, and keeping in mind that this is all simulated. I mean, this is all simulated. <laughs> yes, uh, right, right, right. Like torture. So it, I mean, it's not even like. <laughs> Uh, but they showed that it, there was definitely stress, but it was simulated. So yes. what, you just can imagine. Anyway, uh, but it was like draw a box and a sail. And the adults, the normal, like without this adults, the control group would draw the outside first. And then they said kids would always piecemeal it. So they'd start like randomly. Yeah. And they said after the trauma, the, the adults would start piecemealing things beca- just because it's hard for them to, to organize the big picture first yeah, and to, to kind of structure things. And I thought about that with like puzzles and watching my daughters do puzzles and I'll do like the outside of the puzzle <laughs> and kind of like organize. And I mean, she just is like, Oh, I'm going to, we're doing a wreck it Ralph puzzle. And she's like, I'm going to start with Ralph's face. And it's like, Oh my, that's just like, no, you me. can't start there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, but I mean, that was what was sticking to me. It's just like when you're, when you're adding this level uh, of damage and it's regressing, uh, the the brain to this different place because of of the what's chemically happening there. It, it's just really interesting how that how you can see those effects. Yeah, again, I, like a lot of people, I think would argue like it's there, but putting numbers or putting like a 
like studies to this it is really inter- interesting to start to quantify how how much of an effect it has. Like nobody's going to argue that kids with trauma aren't affected, but it, it's a really hard thing to say, you know. And that's always been my problem. There's a big thing in education now, ACEs, and identifying adverse childhood experiences. And I I feel like there's been less, or maybe less successful or less good measures for doing things about that. Like I, I mean, it's, we've been great at identifying it. Uh, but at least on a large scale, there's a lot of counselors who do phenomenal things, but it's, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's, it's complicated. Yeah. You know, so as, as we've talked about these stories and there's many other stories in there, um, I found the Amanda, um, Knox story incredibly interesting because it, cha- I was trying to like, that came up, I like having my brain, the storyline and then reading that yeah. it was a whole different narrative. The whole thing with Hitler is fascinating. Um, and then the Samantha Bland from, um, it's Samantha, right? Or Sally? Uh, Sandra. Sandra, sorry. Uh, Sandra, <clears throat> from the beginning and the end, how he opened the closeout. Like, all these stories are so powerful. Um, so if you haven't read it, you truly need to. But I, And you can bring those up. But how I want to kind of maybe shift this here as, as we kind of think about some next steps here. What I wanted to think about is like we read these books and this is part of my journey with reading the books that I have on my shelves is not just to read and say, Oh, it's a good read. Here's some good quotes. Yeah. 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 But like, what am I going to do with it? And that to me, this is really where I'm at now. And in a lot of my reading personally is trying to measure the worth of a book. Um, now if I'm reading like my sci-fi books, that's just different. Yeah, that's yeah. just to make me feel excited and <clears throat> convince me that I need to play video games again. But like yeah, in these types yeah. of books, I'm really looking at it as, what can I take away? What can I actually apply and use or maybe rethink something that I'm currently doing? So that's just a long-winded thing to be like, did anything in this book change the way you behave? Um, Did it make you rethink how we see, we'll call them strangers, people we don't know? Um, Did it make you change the way you see yourself? I mean, any of those types of things um, that, you know, as you finish this book and listen to it, that you're like, oh, I need to... Dot, yeah. Dot. Yeah. So I, uh, I, mean, I, I follow a similar path where I've gotten over the years, I, I'm a big audiobook fan and podcast fan, and I've gotten a lot better at being particular about what I'm choosing and, and how I choose it because I've got my own fiction side of, of my reading that is purely for fun. I'll put it at 1.25 and I'll consume while I'm, I'm doing other things yeah. and, and I can have fun with it. But when it comes to my nonfiction books, I've gotten a lot more particular about what I'm picking and I try to sit down. I try and take notes while I'm doing it. I try and organize my thoughts and make sure that I'm pulling from it specifically for books like this. I mean, I mentioned I'm trying to put together a social emotional curriculum. So a a lot of this is is gathering ideas about things that I could teach kids about how they interact with strangers. One of the one of the biggest things that seems to be lacking from my perspective for, for what I, I want to get across to children is all of the things that I've found in kind of my personal journey towards uh, being more efficient with my time, being more organized with my brain. When I'm home with my girls, I, I have this, this pocket of time where I can be productive and I have to maximize it at a level that uh, I, I had to do when I was a teacher, but I could get away with a, a little bit more. I have to be really efficient with my time because my kids are driving me crazy in all these other <laughs> pockets of situations. And so there's all these self-help things and, and things like mindfulness and, and bringing up like all of these things that can help me be a better human that, that you find like, like journaling or, you know, uh, using, uh, practices like words of affirmation. And, and I feel like I want to include that in the culture. Like how can we bring these self-help things that adults and people are doing to, to help kids grow and the social interactions and the social skills that some of us develop just purely by chance is another piece of it. And the, the learning competencies that Iowa came up with uh, last November, I, I think are actually phenomenal. Like I, I saw them and I, I kind of got obsessed with teaching a class fully devoted to that just because of how impressed I was with the organization of it. And they have uh, a fourth of it is for social skills. Mm. And it's about helping kids have an awareness of what's going on around, like social awareness is, is one of the learning targets and being able to, to better, more effectively communicate and know what you're communicating. And it's a side of this book that I, I thought was interesting too, is it's not just what you're reading from strangers, but it's, it's what you're giving, what you're putting out too. 
and, yeah. and being able to understand that. And the Sandra Blanche one it is it permeates the entire book for that reason, where you've got this situation where there's there's confusing things on both sides because there's this cop who is doing something that he had no possible way of knowing this, this larger scale police action that's happening all over the country where they're pulling over people for like he's just getting forced to for his job has no idea of these bigger things that are happening and neither does she in the car she has no idea that there's these outside forces and and he has no like they're both pushed in this direction from things that they have no control over and this interaction goes ter- like horribly wrong yeah because of all of these outside forces and so i like one of the big lenses that i think is important is paying attention to not only or i mean for me like obviously personal help but like teaching kids not only not to misdiagnose other people but to be careful about the mis interpretations that you're giving off too because you have this you have this really uh undervalued amount of influence that uh, that I, I don't i mean this i'm kind of confusing this with some other podcasts that i've listened to too but like sure, sure. No, it, it it went into uh they, they talked about how how much we undervalue our own ability to influence other people yes and, and just like that where they he did a really good job of uh, and again, this is the tangent, but Milgram experiment mm-hmm. is something that I thought of, and I was kind of drawing some comparisons through, like throughout this. I kind of always draw comparisons to those types of things in psychology. But he, uh, uh, they had mentioned the Milgram experiment. We all put ourselves as a person who's being tested, but we rarely put ourselves as the tester, as the experimenter, mm. as the one who's the authority figure. Yeah. Like uh, pretty much everybody, when they hear the Milgram experiment, they're like, oh, I'm the, the person sitting in the chair and I'm being traumatized. We don't think of ourselves as the person in the lab coat who's pushing and, because that person's evil. That person's bad. I mean, it's the, the misidentity. And so, I mean, for me, it like all of these things permeate where my brain's at right now in trying to find really creative and unique ways to, to help kids get better at interacting in the world, at, at presenting themselves in specific ways to, to actually uh, put out the persona that they're trying to put out. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, there, there's a lot of tangents that went through that thought, but uh, that it, it, certainly, it certainly goes deeper for me. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think so and like in, in your work there, I mean, this book really brings to light how much work we need to do to do those things that you just talked about, you know, and I think that's one of the big things with this book that I really, it, it, it's, to me, it's an eye opener. Um, one of the things that I thought, I'm not going to say it's lacking because I don't know that it's the purpose of this particular book. Is yeah. He doesn't go into like fix it strategies, right? So this is yeah. not one of those like uh, um, self self-help books where they're going to say here's here's 10 things that you can do now and all of a sudden you're magically happy like this is not the point of this book but and and there was times where i was like okay but what do we do with this like that's what i like i I thought about like 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 the rape culture the sexual assault stuff and and i'm looking at you know like like the college things and Mm -hmm. all these things and i want to be like so what do we do about it because like the teacher parent in me like i don't know what to do so but at the same time I also get upset when I when I come across those books and it's like this cookie cutter. Someone's trying to sell me something, um, yeah. and I know that it's a gimmick. I don't. It's not intentionally that it's a gimmick, but there's so much of that out there yeah. because people are looking for a quick fix, which we know isn't that. But it's the work that you're trying to do. Like, how do we build yeah. awareness and then really kind of looking inward to realize we have more power and control than we we realize. Um, we can't control everything, um, but those types of things that you're talking about, you know, for me. I was trying to figure out what is it from this book that I can I can do something with, and I'll be honest, when I finished, I, I struggled with it. Like, yeah, my emotions were all over. I thought it was a good book, but I got done, and I was like, okay, like I'm done. But there was a, a passage when I was going back and kind of rereading and checking my notes um, that was on page 261 of the hardcover, and he says this, um, and I, I don't remember the context of the whole storyline, but he says this, and to me, this is where I'm taking my own personal journey. He says uh, um, it's a secondary cautionary note, and he says, we need to accept that the search to understand a stranger has real limits. We'll never know the whole truth. We have to be satisfied with something short of that. The right way to talk to strangers is with caution and humility. 
how many of the crises and controversies described would have been prevented had we taken those lessons to heart? And I think about the work that I'm trying to do um, and in just in general sense. And one of the things that I say time and time again, I feel like in every meeting I'm in, is like 99% of the problems that we have, whether in work or personal or, or other, elsewhere, is due to miscommunication. Um, and here we are in a whole new territory trying to figure out how do we properly communicate. But to me, it's this, right? How do I have empathy for others? How do I communicate properly? And how do I err on the side of caution to not always assume that I know what's going on with others? And that's really hard because I think the human condition is to equally start judging people. That yeah. person's a prick because, boom, I think they're a prick because they walk in and, you know, they took my seat. Or, man, she's really cranky today. Like, yeah you know, whatever it is that I want to think and not realizing like maybe someone in their family has got diagnosed with cancer or, you know, maybe they've they received bad news or they're not feeling good or whatever it could be. Like, I just assume that that's just who they are, not really understanding their, their story and to just realize like, I don't have, I, I can't, I can't understand that. And it's not my job to understand people. And that to me, I'm trying to be very cautious moving forward of not trying to put words in people's mouths. And that with the critiques that we had for it, that's the reason why he picked these stories. These stories, a lot of them had uh, we, we already had an opinion on. Uh, yeah. I mean, we've already formed true, an true. opinion. And so he wants to, to take this thing that we we feel like we know and and start to, to put some cracks in it. And, and I think he did a good job of that. And I mean, like you said, is there this definitive thing that you can walk away with and say, I'm implementing this starting tomorrow and, and I'm going to go forward with it. No, I, I don't think there is. Uh, but for, for some of these, and, and especially when it comes to things that are so like subconscious for us yeah. that are, are so at a level where we're doing it. And, and in a lot of cases we're doing it very quickly, yeah. uh, quickly yeah. enough that, that even if you, you wanted to act on it, it's hard. It, I, I think, like you said, part of it's like press the brake pedal and, and slow down when you start picking up some of these these indicators that this is what's happening, mm. that that this is what's going on and, and being aware of that. And, and I mean, you know, I, I will nitpick the value of reading things for awareness yeah. or, or of all that. I mean, I, I do that just as much as anybody. But I, I certainly think there's a lot of intuitive things in here that uh can more clearly define the 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 things that are going to lead me down a bad road. Uh, I, I think one of the books that that I would parallel this to that I've read is called Crucial Conversations. Yeah, and it's uh, if I mean it's a phenomenal book, but it basically trains your brain to recognize when you're about to go kind of emotion stupid in a conversation, like when you're about to start like overloading and make really bad decisions and i feel like that's kind of what this is doing it's giving you all these scenarios and it's trying to get you to recognize when things went wrong when things were starting to get to a building point and it's about to just tip and everything's going to get ruined because for most of them we can follow ourselves up to a certain point but it's just we we either would have or we want to believe we would have made a different choice in you know for the police officer if we're sandra blanche if we're uh you know, uh, I mean, we didn't even get to any of the, the, the suicide stuff no, in all of these situations. Like, you know, there, there's a different path that, that we would take or we want to take. But I, I mean, that was that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I think it's I mean, I think it's just it just gives you a lot to think about. And I think it, one of the, for me, the big thing is it's not necessarily like an action step that I can check off on my on my habit tracker or things like that. But it's just idea of building a better awareness of my thought patterns and then i'm going to miss a lot of those like you said they're built in at a subconscious level but if i can become more aware of when these things are happening be more aware of the you know the conversations we have with ourselves all day long you know we talk to ourselves more than anybody else um you know and just trying to pay more attention to that narrative and then trying to just call out that spade a spade when i can going hey mm -hmm. you know like you're doing it you know yeah in my, I don't know how all the stuff works with the brain, but over time, my subconscious starts to mimic some of those conscious patterns. I mean, it's not an overnight process by any means, but just trying to become better at that because yeah, I, I, I as I was reading this book, I'm like, man, the amount of times that I 
judge people based on what I think is we all do it. It's human nature, but yeah. like it's you got to stop it. Like why are you you're wasting energy and time and and now that I'm realizing and I'm not good at it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. uh, I think I think I'm pretty good well, at it, but this book is it. telling me that and I'm not very good at yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're you're not good at it, and you overvalue how good you think you are. Like, yeah, 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 it, yeah. It's it, it's a mess, and and with the brain, I mean, there's a lot of things like this that that just there's not a routine that you can set up tomorrow and, and start to fix. You have to you have to kind of run into. Uh, and, and this is something that, that I'm trying to find a way to build into my social emotional course. Like how do you create low stakes situations where kids can start to build these neural pathways in their brain? Yeah. So they'll, they'll run into this situation that's not an extreme like this and they can recognize when they start to get emotionally, you know, too far gone or they start to recognize when they mismatch a person that they're talking to or they start to recognize, like how can we build low stakes situations that, that feel the same? I, I mean... You, you want them to be as similar as possible to elicit the same responses without the nest, without the potential trauma. Right, right. And I mean, really, but you do have to run into that. And it's a hard thing to do. But that's part of what I'm grappling with is, is I want to give experiences or uh, I mean, I'd like to go farther than just case studies. I want to give experiences that they can see where they can start to pick up those cues for themselves and they can start to learn uh, how to just bet, move forward in a, in a more, in a, in a better way, move forward in a better way where they're, they're more aware of themselves. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's phenomenal work that you're doing. And, uh, as you figure it out, we'll definitely have to bring you back on the show and, and, and follow up on that journey because I think what you're trying to do is what a lot of people are trying to figure out whether they have it quite that idea formulated the way you have it articulated. But I think a lot of there seems to be a lot of conversations right now, oh, yeah. especially in education, right? Is that social emotional learning and the, the social emotional behavior and all that kind of stuff is, is what do we do with this? We know it's really, really important. It's the elephant in yeah. the room we've neglected. Um, and we've neglected because we didn't know what to do, but now we realize we have to. And so, um, I know yeah. just, you know, on a side note, even beyond the book, we appreciate, um, you diving into that work, trying to figure it out because it is, it, it is important work. Um, and we need more voice at the table to make that stuff happen. So, um, yeah. I really, really appreciate it. I do want to be respectful of your time because we're approaching here the, the hour mark. And, um, I know you've got two daughters there that are probably waiting yeah. for, uh, you know, yeah, probably waiting for, uh, my wife's some, down there. I'm yeah, not just neglecting yeah, them, but yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> she probably wants help too. On, on, I guess we'll just wrap up here. Are there any final thoughts? I know there's there's so much we didn't get to in the book, and so those listening in, if you haven't read the book, hopefully we've given you enough to go and read. We haven't spoiled all of it, and there's so many good stories, um, good and powerful thinking ways um, for you to dive into. But as we wrap up, are there any final thoughts or ideas for the listener um, about the book or just things in general um, that you want to share before we uh, call it a day? Um, I think just it, like as far as like the, the worth of the book, um, I, I think it's – I mean we did a pretty good job diagnosing it. If you're someone who's kind of on the fence about it, you listen to this and, and you're kind of debating it. I, I mean I really do think that there's a lot of value here. I, I think there's a lot that you can do as uh, as a parent or an adult who's trying to help a kid. I mean that's one of the things that I'm learning is there are strategies. There, there are people out there who have been – uh, helping to articulate these things to, to, to kids for a while. And so I, I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. And, um, it, to me, there's, there's hope. I mean, I, that was another big theme that I took out of it is you see all these situations where it just looks like there's just evil and it's not just evil. I mean, there, there's a broken situation. There's a, a situation that could have gone differently. There are, people behind this that could have under different circumstances if it was coupled to different so to use a word from his book there that things could have gone differently and so it it does give a lot of hope for some of the most sensationalized things that we've had in the media which have made it look like there is just horrible people out there lurking behind the scenes trying to you know police officers pulling you over for racist reasons uh, pedophiles, rapists, uh, people infiltrating the medical community. Like, I mean, it, it, it is some of the darkest things that we've seen out there. And, and it, it gives us a little bit of hope that there's, 
some place to enact change, that it's not just bad people doing bad things, that these are are situations that we can actually uh, start to, to move the pin on. And hopefully, as a society with enough growth, uh, start to push back at, at these massive problems that have, have really held us back. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think I'll just piggyback on there with the, the very last sentence of the book, um, because I think what you've said there is, is, is a great thing to end on. But at the very end of the book, he says, because we don't know how to talk to strangers, what we do when things go awry with strangers, we blame the strangers. And so if nothing else, I would challenge you, especially in these times where it's very easy to blame people in charge of a lot of institutions and companies and businesses and politics and things like that is, um, aside from all that, we have a real opportunity, even with our own families here now and our friends, is to take the time to get to know people. And the less that people become strangers, the better we can make the world. And so even though we are social distancing at the time of this recording and things like that, I think we have a real call to action in order to build community, build empathy, and to, you know, as cheesy as it says, make the world a better place. You know, we got to do a better job of getting to get to know one another. And I yeah. think if nothing else, the big thing of the social distancing stuff for a lot of people, I think why they, there's a lot of reasons why people feel anxious and stressed is because we have to start with ourselves. And I think a lot of us are, have forgotten to have conversations with ourselves to even know ourselves. I think a lot of us are strangers to ourselves. Um, and so start there and then start to blossom out. And um, I would echo that. This is, I think it's a book definitely worth checking out and reading. It's going to make you pause. It's going to make you think. You're going to agree. You're going to disagree and those are all the things that i think make a good book and malcolm gladwell has done it again um in this particular book here so brett i can't thank you enough for joining me today it's been a pleasure uh, definitely got to do this again and uh thank you so much for uh taking some time to talk about talking to strangers by malcolm gladwell thanks for having me